hope those videos are helpful to try to help you grasp the, the entire account here. Um, so according to the Lexham Survey of Theology, providence is the governing, the governing power, uh, governing power, there we go, I can say it, uh, of God that oversees his creation and works out his plans for it. So what this means is after God created the world, that he didn't just wind it up and let it go. He continues to be intimately involved in his creation, in our lives, in each of our lives. And we see that today, and we're going to see that very clearly in the story here, the account of Ruth and Naomi. He didn't just let it go. He wants to be, and he is, intimately involved in his creation. So this, world provident, or this word providence is related to the word provision. Provision are, are the things that we need in our lives, uh, whether it's even companionship, even friendship, and especially sustenance, you know, food, clothing, things that we need. God exerts his providence by offering provisions to his people, and he sovereignly works out his plans in our lives. So that the difficult theology of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility leaves us in awe of how God works intimately in our world and yet allows us to make decisions. Despite our ability to reason and make our own decisions, God is ultimately sovereign, and his providence has been seen clearly since the creation of the world. Prior to the book of Ruth, we see God redeem countless people through his providence and through his sovereignty, from Adam and Eve and the fall in the garden and how he provided the first sacrifice for them, for their sins, the first animal sacrifice to give them skins to cover them. So later we see, see him choosing the pagan Abraham, not because of his own righteousness, but because he, of the righteousness of God, that he chose him. And then from there we see he chooses the deceptive Jacob. And from there, even later on, the, the murdering Moses, right? God is intimately involved in bringing his plan of redemption to fruition. We're going to see that at the end of this chapter in a mighty way. Uh, God is working on his plan of redemption for us today, still today in our lives. At this point, though, we're seeing him working on that plan of the Messiah, the coming Messiah. Each one of those other those people we just mentioned about God sovereignly providing and sovereignly choosing and working through, it all came to the pinnacle of Jesus Christ. Some would directly be a part of that lineage and some would indirectly be a part of that. Today we're going to see another situation in which God's providence and his sovereignty is very clearly seen. And we start to see him begin to unfold his plan here. So join me as we see God providentially working in the second chapter of Ruth. Let us go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you that, that you're not a God who is powerless. That you are a God who is powerful. That you are a sovereign God. And that you're a God who loves us and provides for us. You don't just write us off, God. You're also a God who is merciful. And even in times of despair, as we've just seen Naomi at the end of chapter 1, and in complete despair, God, you still come through. You still love us. You understand our struggles and our weaknesses. And God, we love you and praise you for that, Lord. Thank you. Amen. So today we're going to look at three ways that God's providence is shown in not only this wonderful chapter, but also our lives even today. So number one, God's providence is sovereignly orchestrated. God's providence, if you can go back one slide, is sovereignly orchestrated. 
So we'll go ahead and read, uh, let's go ahead and read the first two verses here. We're going to be going through this whole chapter, but join me as we start to read God's word. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So in verse 1, we're given a glimpse into the providence of God, but we're just kind of given this guy's name, and it's kind of just random. It doesn't, we're not sure how it fits into what's about to happen, what's about to unfold. But we do hear that he is a worthy man. So he is a, a good man at this point. We see he is a kind man. And he's also a relative of Elimelech. Elimelech was Naomi's deceased husband, the husband that passed away while they were in Moab. We don't really know what's going to happen here, but we move on to verse 2 and we see Ruth. And, and we've seen Ruth just be very humble throughout this whole thing. Uh, she's given up everything to come and follow Yahweh and to follow her mother-in-law, Naomi, to a new land, to a foreign land. And we see that she's, she's gonna, she, she volunteers to go and glean in the fields. So these women have a lot of needs right now. They're lonely. They don't really have family or friends. They, they've come into a land now, Ruth. It's a foreign land for her, Naomi. She hasn't been there for over 10 years. So, you know, they're lonely. They've got a lot of needs. But their most pressing need is what? Food. They're hungry. These are women who are starving. They've made this trip, which somewhere, you know, probably looking at a couple days' journey that they've made, they made this trip back to, uh, to Bethlehem, and they're hungry. And so Ruth says, hey, I will go and I will glean. And that, that's a big thing. You know, we kind of are like, well, of course, that's a good idea. She should go try to get some food. But the big issue is Ruth is a foreigner. So in other words, she's not the person that's probably going to be shown favor as quick as Naomi is. She looks different. She talks different. She acts different. And frankly, as we learned in chapter 1, Israel didn't really like Moab very much. Moab had been a jerk to Israel. I don't know where they would put it, but they, they had dominated them. They had tried to curse them, as we talked about last week. They had, they had tried to rule their land. And so Ruth, in her humility, says, hey, I'll go, and I'll, I'll try to find us some food. We don't know why that Naomi doesn't say, hey, I'll go with you. I mean, obviously, she was older. Maybe she was tired from the journey, and she just couldn't. Maybe she was just completely physically paralyzed by her bitterness, her struggles. I mean, I, know, I don't know about you all, but sometimes you can get so dark and depressed and down that you can't even hardly do anything. You know, it's just it's hard to even go and want to do something. So whatever it was, we're not sure, but we know that she approves of Ruth going out. Gleaning was something also that was reserved for the poor, as we saw in that video, the, the widows, the poor, and foreigners. And it wasn't just that, I know the video said something about them accidentally leaving this back, but, but actually the law was amazing. God's grace was present since chapter 1 of Genesis. And we see God's grace in in protecting widows, foreigners, and, and, and those in poverty. And he tells people who have fields to not glean at the very edge, to leave the edge for those who are traveling through. And if something fell, to let it lay there for someone who would come and get it. And so Ruth is going to be blessed by that law of God that was made way before her birth. So I love that she doesn't say, I'm going to go to a field that has the most grain. I'm going to go find a field that is the easiest job I can find. She says, I want to go to a field where I'm going to be shown favor. So this is actually like her, the first 
one of the first prayers we see of hers. She actually is praying to God for favor. She's saying, okay, God, I know you are sovereign. Help me find somewhere that they're nice to me, that they're kind to me, that, 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 they, that they allow me to get some food. I know, I know that I'm a hated people group. I know that they don't like me. I know that there's a lot of racism directed toward me. And, and frankly, they've got some good reason. We, my people have sacrificed their kids. My people have, have been very, very evil. But may they see me through your eyes. May, may I have grace. May I be shown favor. And how, how incredible was that? She goes to do this amazing work of gleaning, this difficult, hard word of gleaning. And the author wants us to know this word glean. And he wants us to remember it because it is 12 times in this chapter. So if you think that I had just have rep- a repetitive tongue, this word will come 12 times. And there's one other thing that we need to keep, keep our uh, mind on, and it is the name Boaz who occurs 10 times in this chapter. So if we were going to say what are the two most common words, those are what we need to focus on a little bit here. So God is, or so Ruth is trusting in the provision of God. She's lifting up her petition to God and praying for favor. So let's read verse 3 as well. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She set out and she happens to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz. I love this word happened here. So she happened to, and, and that word happened is actually really is a word that's just roll the dice, chance, just stroke of luck. How amazing is that? And you're like, well, why would the author choose to use a word like that? I mean, this author knows that God is sovereignly working in this case. Why does he use that term? Doesn't it seem to undermine the providence and sovereignty of God? Why would he use that? Not at all. Instead, it actually shows that everything is in God's hands, even the things we think are chance. We see this in Proverbs 16:33. The lot is cast into the lap, but every what? Decision is from who? the Lord. So the lot was a form of rolling the dice. It was casting the lot, kind of a chance thing. And we see in the scripture that that nothing happens by chance, that God is sovereign over all, approving what happens. It's not by chance that Ruth ends up in the field of Boaz. It is divinely and sovereignly being orchestrated. Let's read verses 4 through 7 here as well. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman. She came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from morning until now, except for a short rest. So what is it like when your loved ones come home? Do you start with something like, the Lord be with you? Or do you answer in the back saying, the Lord bless you? Okay, maybe our homes aren't quite that exciting uh, or quite maybe that, uh, um, maybe something we can strive for. You know, next time you go home, why don't you try that and see how it goes over? Uh, Something we can strive for there. But obviously we see a man who has a good relationship with his workers, right? I mean, they seem to really be, respectful of him. He seems to really be respectful of them. They are genuinely excited to see him. They are genuinely excited. uh, They're they're both genuinely excited to see each other, I guess I'll say there. But like any good leader, not only does he have a good relationship with them, he's very observant. He's looking out, checking out the land, and he sees 
wait a second, there's somebody here I've never seen before, and, and she looks a little different, maybe dressed a little bit different. Who's that? So like any good leader, he no- notices Ruth. And at this point, this situation could go one of two ways, right? Many in Israel would be like, get her out of here. Can somebody walk her off my property because her people are evil? They've done this, they've done this, they've done this. I hate them. Uh, we don't want them here. Or it could go in a good way. There, we could have grace. And let's go ahead and join me as we kind of see which way it goes. Verses 8 through 9. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Wow. I mean, that is a complete, the complete opposite of what most in Israel, how, how they would have responded to her. So Boaz starts off by calling her daughter. And this, was a fam- this is a familial term, as we even know today. Uh, who, who would say daughter to someone who is a, a foreigner that his, their people hate? And he says daughter. So it also has it's a term of protection and love. It, it's, it's, you know, hey, I will protect you. So despite their ethnic differences, he wants to make sure that, that she knows that he will protect and provide for her. He even told the young men not to touch her and says, hey, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to make sure that, that they protect you, that you don't have to worry about anybody harming you here, that you are safe here. And not only that, he actually says these young men will get her something to drink. And for us, we may be like, oh, that's nice. You know, we live in kind of a more chivalrous society. So for a man to go and, and get a woman a drink, uh, that's pretty normal. That's a nice thing. We're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's chivalry, right? Well, back then, things were different. Back then, the women drew the water for the men. Right, so 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 men didn't draw the water for the women. So she is, sh- or so she's being shown shown incredible honor here. So not only is she a foreign woman, who most would not even allow to glean in their field, Boaz says, "Hey, I'll even have my men make sure you have something to drink. You can drink the water that they draw." And so we're just seeing some incredible things. So so what is Ruth's? Uh, ha- what's her response to this? Let's we'll read through ten through thirteen here. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of, of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So Ruth obviously realizes the way she's being treated isn't normal. Like this isn't what she expected. And so she falls on her face in thankfulness and reminds her and says, hey, you do realize I am a Moabite. I am a foreigner. You I want to make sure you know who you're showing favor to. I don't deserve this. Yet, how does he respond to that? He responds, ki- responds kindly, respectfully, tenderly, and, and maybe even admirably, I would say, to her. He admires what she has done for Naomi. He's so appreciative of her love for, for Naomi, the Elimelech's uh, wife there, and even more so for her love for God that she left her people, her God, and came to Yahweh. 
He doesn't just stop there. He, pl- he prays a blessing for her in the name of Yahweh, which some may be like, this is blasphemous. This dude is pr- praying a, a blessing over a foreign Moabite woman. It's incredible. It's not blasphemous. It's grace that he's showing. He prayerfully asks for both blessings and protection, and he uses this term under the shelter or the shadow of God's wings. Such a beautiful picture of being intimately close with God, protected and provided for by God. Uh, the Psalms have this at least six times, that, that type of a statement. Uh, one, of, one of them being Psalm 91.4. He says, the psalmist says, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You see the protection of God clearly portrayed in this wonderful analogy. And we see in verse 13 that Ruth is comforted and encouraged by by Boaz's kind words. Brothers and sisters, do you see God sovereignly orchestrating this so far? Uh, Do you see this this isn't just happenstance, it's not just by chance, that God is intimately involved in each one of these things that happen. So Ruth has happened, quote-unquote, to a certain field belonging to Naomi's relatives. She's happened to find favor um, with this man named Boaz. Even though many in Israel would have assaulted her or at least shunned her and kicked her out. I want, us to, I want to remind us today that the same God that is sovereignly providing, that his providence is, is working in this, is the same God that's doing the same thing today for us, my friends. It's not just back then that he was working like this. It's not just back then that he was sovereign, and now he's not. It wasn't just back then that he provided for his children, and now he does not. He is the same God that we have in our lives. And there are times in our life that we're like Naomi in chapter 1. Things are dark where is God? How is he sovereign? How is he providential? Because this is bad, and this is going wrong, and I lost this person, and I, I, you know, my kid's doing this, and this is going on, and I lost my job, and we have all these things. But he's still sovereign. He still provides. Trust me, even in those dark, dark times in our lives, he is sovereignly working and providing. And if you are a child of God, I can tell you that he's sovereignly working, and he is providential for your good. Despite how bad the circumstances look, despite how it doesn't make any sense, you don't understand, this can't be good. Nothing about this situation is good. How can you tell me that it is good? I can tell you because God said it would work out for good. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, now don't, don't get me wrong, not for those who don't love God. Things are not working out for the good of those who don't love God. God's judgment is upon them. And until we repent of our sins and we turn to Jesus Christ, things don't work out for our good. But those who are children of God, who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is the only way of salvation. It's, it, Paul says here, and we know that, the, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Note that phrase, all things, everything, not just some things. Not just most things, all things, even the bad things, even the worst things in our lives, work he uses for our good. We see this no better way than the story of Joseph, the account of Joseph in Genesis 37 through 50. This poor guy lived a rough life. He's sold into slavery by his brothers because they're jealous of him. They don't like him. He ends up moving up in a certain home and then ends up getting falsely accused and thrown in prison after that. Then he interprets a dream, and the guy says, hey, I'll tell, you, I'll tell Pharaoh how great you are, and then he's forgotten. But finally, he moves up 
and he interprets the dream of Pharaoh, and he's placed as second in command of uh, Egypt at the time. He saves millions from starvation, and he preserves the lineage of the coming Messiah through the tribe of Judah. We see here in Genesis 50, 20, Joseph says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Joseph saw God's sovereign hand in all the difficulties he went through. He even saw God's sovereign hand in the midst of sinful choices by sinful men. He even saw God take the sin and the bad stuff and turn it even for his good. He sees that God was never absent. He's always with us, and we should see that too. He's, if we look back in our lives, lives, he's always with us. He's walking with us each step. He's always there to strengthen us. Even the darkest times, he walks with you, provides for you, and strengthens you. Our God's providence is sovereignly orchestrated. Number two, God's providence is personally demonstrated. God's providence is personally demonstrated. I'm going to start just by reading verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers. And he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. So up to this point, we've seen God's provision for both Ruth and Naomi. Uh, they've been provided with protection. Ruth has been given protection by Boaz. Uh, she's been given uh, you know, favor from Boaz, and this has been great, right? You know, they, they, they were going to starve to death, and now they've got this, this sustenance that they're going to be having. A lot to be thankful for at this point. But then verses 14 through 16 just take it to the next level. This entire interchange is just crazy when we look at it. We just don't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense other than God just sovereignly working. So this isn't just about her, her physical needs of hunger being met. She's being shown family. She's invited to the table. There's no more intimate place in a family than the table. A lot of great conversations happen around a table, don't they? So we look at like the holidays, we look at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and even in our own families when we sit down for dinner together. And I highly suggest to do that as a family regularly. At least pick one meal a day where you sit down and you talk about things. There's been many studies that talk about the closeness of families with those who sit and talk. Well, here we see this entire interchange shows us something special about Boaz as well. First, we see he's eating with who? His hired workers, right? So these are, these, some of these are servants, right? Hired workers and servants, and he's, he's the owner of the field. He's the big boss man. He's, he's the man. And how many co- companies do you see where the CEO comes and he eats with the other people or she eats with the other people, right? How many times do you see Jeff Bezos come and eat with the Amazon workers? Or do you see Bill Gates come and eat with, I know he's not necessarily the CEO of Microsoft anymore, but back then, you don't see that very often, right? You don't see that humility of, hey, let me come and let me be one of the people. And not I'm here and you're here. You see, Boaz put himself and say, hey, we're equals before God. You know, yes, I own the field, but, you know, you all are on the working way. I appreciate that. I love you. You're part of my family. We see this amazing humility and kindness. He didn't separate himself from his, quote, lowly servants and workers. He embraced them as family. So this, is, this in itself is great to see, but then he takes it to a whole other level. He invites this foreign Moabite woman, Ruth, to come to the table with them. 
This was highly irregular, to say the least. So this type of hospitality went far beyond what was expected. He was just expected to say, okay, you can take some of the outer sheaths there and go home. You know, I'm not going to glean the very edge. You can take that and go, and I've done my law. Like, I've obeyed the law. I'm a good man. I'm in good standings with God. Things are good. Check that box. Now you need to go somewhere else because you're not really welcome here. No, but instead, he says, hey, come here. And then, not only that, he says, what, what, what does he ask her to do with the bread? To dip it into the wine. Wait a second, like, this is an unclean Moabite woman foreigner, and you're going to let her dip her bread into your wine? What does that show? How does he see her at this point? He sees her as an adopted child of God, a fellow Israelite. She has said no to Chemosh and the gods of the Moabites and has said yes to Yahweh. She has been saved through grace, right? She has turned from her gods and turned to the one true God. And Boaz recognizes that and says, hey, you're a fellow Israelite. You can dip it in here. Dip your bread in this wine. So we've seen two examples of humility back to back. We've seen Ruth fall on her face, you know, just show, you know, just in humility to Naomi, say, hey, I'll go and see what we can, go, we can do. I'll go and glean. That's what all the poor people do. That's what the foreigners do. That's what the widows do. Well, that's who I am. And I will embrace that and I will put myself out there. I will take that chance, that risk of being harmed even, and go out and do this. And now we've seen Boaz as well. Humility means to have a modest view of one's own importance. What does God think about humility? Well, let's see. In a culture today where that glorifies pride, we need to really understand what God thinks about humility. I'm going to read four different verses here, kind of back to back. Proverbs 22, 4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. For everyone who exalts himself will be what? Humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's Jesus saying that. Each of these verses gives us a glimpse of how God feels about humility. So we see in this first one that he blesses those who are humble. We see here that he shows grace to those who are humble. And he honors those who are humble, and he exalts those who are humble. So brothers and sisters, can you identify with the humility shown by Ruth and Boaz here? In this scenario, would you be willing to go out and glean among the sheaves? Would you be willing to humble yourself and say, I know that's what poor people do. I know that's what, you know, foreigners do, but I'm too good for that. Is that where we would be? Or we say, yes, I will go and I will glean. I will put myself out there. Would you humble yourself? Or like Boaz, would you be willing to welcome an unclean foreign Moabite woman with open arms and show hospitality, even if it meant possibly damaging your reputation? Other people may say, hey, wow, that guy had that, that woman was in his field gleaning, right? Boaz doesn't think that way. He thinks, hey, God has called me to be kind to the foreigner, to the widows, and I will do that. I pray that we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought, as Romans 12, 3 says. I pray that we're willing to humble ourselves before God and seek his favor in this life. And if he calls us to a humble task, I pray that we embrace it, that we do it willingly and with, you know, with open arms.
Jesus Christ came as a servant to all. He humbled himself before sinful man and even washed their feet, as we see in John 13, 1 through 17. He set this as, as an example as foot washing. We need to be willing to be humble and willing to serve others, even in the, the dirty deeds, even the tougher things in life. We need to be willing to say, okay, I'll do that. Even when it might be embarrassing or feel degrading, or it's like, oh, you know, I'm too good to do that. You know, I've got all this talent. Why would I, why would I go and do that, right? Nothing is beneath us. The Lord did the mo- one of the, some of the most humble tasks ever, and he was God. So how can anything be beneath us, right? Jesus humbled himself before the, uh, before the Father, even to death on the cross, as Philippians 2.8 says. He humbled himself to the point where he was willing to undergo ridicule, be mocked and crucified for our sins. The righteous died for the unrighteous. He took our punishment. And we now can have eternal life through Jesus Christ, who humbled himself for us and, um, and on behalf of the Father. If we repent of our sins, we turn from our ways and we turn to him. We humble ourselves as Christ humbled himself. And we say, not my will, but your will be done, Jesus Christ. He can save our souls. And I pray that if you haven't done that, that you, you make that decision today. He exalts, blesses, shows grace to, honors, and exalts the humble. Let's get into verse 15 and 16 here. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Wow. So he says, you know, the law said, hey, you leave the very edges and the ones that are on the ground and she can have those. Boaz says, I don't care if she goes where we haven't even touched it yet. And she starts cutting down sheaves herself. Don't say anything to her. He says, and then he goes a step further than that. He says, hey, I know you all are doing all this work. You're cutting all these things. I know you're sweating. I know you've been working hard. But I want you to throw a few of those behind you, and I, I want her to have them. Those are for her. I mean, so just the honor and the grace and the favor that he is showing her here is just unfathomable. Such wonderful providence is being shown to Ruth here. He is providing. He has been sovereignly orchestrating, and now we've seen this personally demonstrated through Boaz. And finally, God's providence is glori- gloriously authenticated. God's providence is gloriously authenticated. Join me as we read 17 and 18. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She she also uh, brought out and gave her what food she had left over from being satisfied. So after working all day, she beats out what is gleaned. I mean, she's got to be incredibly tired. Uh, She's been working all day. She's already just walked a long way from Moab to Bethlehem before that. And she goes to the threshing floor, and she beats out barley. There's a picture up here of of what she may have seen. Uh, If we go to the next uh, slide there, Kevin, this is uh, what what barley looks like in case you've, uh, you've never had barley. I don't know. Uh, so after, I'm not, I don't know, I don't know if I've even eaten barley, to be honest. Um, so after finishing, that's my wife, she's not here. Um, a- after finishing, she, it says that she has about an ephah of barley, and, and I'm glad that the many translations inform us that this is around three, three-fifths of a bushel. Um, I don't know if any of you all keep a, a bushel measurement 
uh, in your home so that you really can say, hey, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, translators. Thanks for telling me. It's three-fifths of a bushel. Okay, so, so I, will, I will put that into uh, maybe more modern-day terms, and it's probably around five and a half gallons, maybe a little more than that. It's about how much we're, we're looking at. So, so just imagine like almost one and a half milk cartons full of that. The video before actually said that eh, it may, it may be overestimated how long this would last. It's probably closer to a little over a week for two women. But still, it was a lot of, of food, and she also had some leftovers. But we also see Ruth's strong work ethic continue here because you know how much that barley weighed? At least 30 pounds, maybe more. So she's carrying the food, leftover foods. She's carrying the barley. I have no idea how she carried the barley. I'm not, I'm not sure. But she carries it. She's bring, bringing it a long way to get back to her home. And we get to verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She told her mother-in-law uh, with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. So we see in verse 19 that when, when Ruth arrives, Naomi is completely wigged out. She is overwhelmed. And man, she hits her with like just three statements, just boom, boom, boom. You know, two questions and an and a, and a exclamation, right? She, sa- she says, right, where do you clean today? Where have you worked? You can just, you can just like hear the, the intensity of that. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Just rapid fire. And then as soon as uh, you know, the, 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 the starving woman is pretty excited. She's, she's hungry, and she, she sees barley, and she's got leftover food she can eat immediately. She's like, this is amazing what happened today, and, and all that Ruth can really get out is Boaz, and then she's at it again. So we get to, to verse 20. She says, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may you be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a close relative of, our, of ours, one of our redeemers. You can hear the excitement in her voice. You know, this seems like a, this, this, and then she ends verse 20 with this, uh, this word, redeemers. So he is one of our redeemers. And this seems like a really, really important fact that, that we probably ought to know a lot about. We probably ought to study this a lot uh, further. And you know what? We're not going to do it today. So uh, you definitely have to come back next week because we're going to study that one a lot harder. Uh, we're we're going to definitely study it, but just not right now. You have to wait till next week before we get into those details. You'll see what happens. It'll be good. Uh, so so start, st- starting in 21, and Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. Lost another field, you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, cleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. So she lived with her mother-in-law. Wow. So if we look here at the end, we're, we're seeing that she likely gleaned there probably six to seven weeks at least, maybe late April to early June per our calendars today. She continued working and gleaning. Think about how much food that she got. I mean, if she got well over a week in that one day, what is six or seven you know, weeks? She's probably got at least a year's worth, if not more, food for the two of them. And we also see an incredible shift of Naomi. If we, if we remember the end of chapter 1, we saw that she was, she was Mara. She was bitter. Her life was rough. Things did not go well for her. It looked like there was no hope. Things were bleak. You know, pretty much just, just let me die. That's kind of where she was at. I, I'm done. I, I'm embarrassed. I, I come home empty. And then we see that there, 
was the beginning of harvest. And so we saw a little bit of hope, a little glimmer of hope at the end of chapter 1. And now we see her affect, her pleasantness start to come back. She's gone from bitter to pleasant again. There is hope, and her excitement is clearly seen as she is so excited in verse 20. She knows that Yahweh has not actually forgotten about her, that he still hears her cries, that, that, that he's still there. We see she has seen the, the providence of God gloriously authenticated and confirmed through his provisions. She realizes that Deuteronomy 31, 8 is truth. It says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Friends, our God never leaves us and he never forsakes us. Even in our darkest times, even in our biggest struggles, he is always there and he walks with us who are his children. I pray that this wonderful example of God's providence today strengthens your faith. And I pray that you know he's there with you each and every step of the way. I pray that you always remember that God's providence is sovereignly orchestrated, personally demonstrated, and gloriously authenticated. God is sovereignly orchestrating things to work out for your good if you are in Christ. In his sovereign work, he will use people in your life to personally demonstrate his provisions and his providence. And if you look at your life and you reflect on things, you will see him time after time again gloriously authenticate and confirm that he is sovereign, that he will provide for you. Trust him. He is faithful. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that if anyone here does not know you as their father, that they are not a true child of God, God, I, it's unfortunate that I can't say any of this applies to them. I, I, other than God, you are sovereign, but God, not everything is going to work out for their good. Lord God, it, it, you, you, you've told us that for those who are in you, who are your children, that you'll work things out for the good of those who are in you, Lord who are called according to your purpose, Lord. So I pray first and foremost that we make sure we are in Christ so that we can take peace knowing that you are sovereign and you are you're providential. God, those who, of us that are believers, Lord, if we're going through a tough time, Lord, may we cling to you knowing that you are faithful, that you will never leave or forsake us, that you walk with us through the trials, through the dark places of our lives. And God, that there is hope for our future, Lord God. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And we pray that as we go throughout this next week, that we look for the ways that you are providing for us, that we look at the ways that you are sovereign, and that we trust you, and that we step out in faith, even when you call us to do things that are humble, even when you call us to do things that just seem crazy. It's like, God, why, do, why should I do that? That just doesn't make any sense. But Lord, when you are clear and you call us, Lord, we know that you will provide for us and that you will walk with us, Lord. We thank you for your provisions. We thank you for your love and your mercy. It's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Have a blessed week.